Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey everyone, Kevin Cruz here and welcome back to the LeadX Leadership Show. Special edition because this is part two of my conversation with my personal leadership guru who I've known for 20 years and I hear his voice in my head every week as I make some management mistake and then his voice echoes in my head and corrects me and I kind of get a little bit better. And this is a great conversation. Instead of going through our normal windup, we're just going to get to it. So this is part two of my interview with Bill Erickson. When I think back, you know, uh, 20 years ago now, I mean, the other big aha I had was y you and your team really taught me about how to hire people correctly, how to hire great talent. And it was completely different than, than I had ever heard, starting with the way you would write the job ad the, back in the day, the classified ad in the newspaper, uh, the fact that you would you would have people have candidates before you would really even screen the resume call into a phone, a phone line and get asked these weird questions. I, I, you know, it was all magic. Now, of course, what we're talking about is, you know, the importance of traits and the value of implementing a good sort of pre-hiring selection process. So <laughs> tell us who, who, you know, are, are, this is all new to, it's like, what, it isn't just an, it isn't just my gut after, you know, a, an interview. What are the secrets to this pre-employment assessment? Yeah, the way in the again, this could be a life's work and you still wouldn't know it all. But the thing about recognizing traits and identifying traits in humans is anything you do to get a little bit better at it can make a big difference. Uh, so it's worth it's worth the time. Okay, I've spent a lifetime on it, and I I still don't know as much as I wish I that I knew. So traits are really again, this is the essence of the nature right. side of the equation. It's about personality. It's about the things that don't change, and it's about getting smart about those things. So a couple of tips that I give you, uh, there are some. I think there are some magic questions that really hit people in different kind of ways. If everybody answers the same to a question, if there's a right answer, don't use it because it doesn't help you discriminate. It doesn't help you learn anything about the traits of the person. I was thinking about, you know, in my career, because there's so many clues to traits. Uh, I fly a lot. I've spent a lot of time on airplanes. And what I do is I observe. I watch people. That's why I wrote the book that I wrote. And, and I love to watch little kids, which sometimes they can be really irritating on airplanes, as we all know. But uh, you can you can see such differences. I mean, you can kind of, on on, when kids get on an airplane, you can kind of put many of them into, into one of two groups. There's the kids who they get into the seat and they want to melt into it and become invisible or their parents lap wherever they are. And then there's the other kids, <laughs> they get to their seat and pretty soon they're peeking through to look at the person behind them or they're standing up and they're trying to get them to wave. They're trying, everybody that walks down the aisle, they look at them, they smile, they, they, you know, they look them in the eye, they, they make these connections. So what if you could take two groups of nine months olds, you know, from those, what if you had 50 of each? Yep. Okay, and you did a longitudinal study. What's your prediction about which of those two groups is going to produce the most salespeople? Right. Okay, well, it's obvious. Yeah. Okay, I mean, look, if at the age of nine months you already have a need to connect with people yeah. around you and you start practicing when you're nine months old. 
by the time you get to adulthood, you're going to be a lot better than everybody else. Okay. That's the way traits work. It starts with what's inside you and then you orchestrate your environment around those things. And that's, that's one of the few secrets to truly great leaders because there's so many ways to be a great leader. But one consistency among great leaders is they, they figure out something that they're good at that feels good to them and they use what at every level they use their influence to get themselves into more and more situations where they get to do more and more of the things that feel the best and that they're best at. Okay. Mm-hmm. If they're a great speaker, they do more of that. If they're a great writer, they do more of that. If, if uh, you know, whatever it is, if you're Jack Welsh and you just understand business, you do, you know, it, but it's different for everybody. That's why leaders are so different, but that's the thing. They get themselves into more and more situations like that. Now, in terms of a identifying traits, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is that they think that when they're hiring people, they think it's about they're trying to assess, can they do it? Mm -hmm. Can they do this job? That is wrong. That is a mistake. Turns out there are lots of things I can do. Question is, will I? You know, for (laughs) example, I can keep my desk a lot neater, you know, (laughs) but will I? Probably not, you know. Uh, So, Years ago, and you probably heard me tell this story, it was one of the most impactful studies I was ever involved in. I got to study 300 of the best nurses from an entire country. It was for the NHS in England, and I learned that there are three types of people in relation to the nursing profession. There are people like me who who really can't be great nurses. I, You know – if, if you're in emotional distress, I can connect and I feel like I can help a little, okay? But if you're in physical distress uh, and you're really – I just feel helpless. I'm pretty useless. I, I'm, I mean I kind of get immobilized in that situation. I wouldn't make a good nurse, obviously. <laughs> I can't do it. Then there are the people who can do it. Uh, and, and for them, it's like I'm a trained professional. I know what to do. I take pride in it. I can help. That's all good and well. But what I learned, there's a third group. And for these people in that situation of physical distress – they can't not help. They can't not respond. It's like if I don't respond in that situation, I don't I don't want to look in the mirror. I don't like me as much anymore. Somehow my self-concept is diminished if I don't respond in that situation. I didn't know those people existed. So that's the tra- that's that's the power of traits. And I mean, it applies everywhere. Then, you know, that was a huge discovery. Do you know anybody who can't not sell? Right. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about the the basketball game or the weather or whatever. They're going to sell you on something. You know anybody who can't not be friendly? We talked about that. <laughs> you know anybody who can't not be neat and orderly? <laughs> yeah, well, if you have a job that demands neatness and order, orderliness, I mean – Look in their trunk, for example, okay? Because right. <laughs> there are people who can't, who just don't feel right until everything is in its place. Everything has a place and everything has to be in its place. So if you have a job that demands, find, you know, there are clues in all parts of their life about that trait. So that's, and that's where the science comes in. Asking questions that, that elicit a wide range of responses and then figuring out which of those responses is is really predictive of a trait that's going to find expression over and over and over again, and then getting the right traits for each job. So, Bill, to make sure everybody understands, I want you to use an example. So f- now, and and we're not saying that uh, I, I, anybody should just try winging this. I mean, there's a science to it. People are trained in how to do this kind of screening. Um, but but I learned that uh, your trained people back in the day would ask 
word for word, the same question. And then there would be like a, I think you guys called them a listen for, like you were listening mm-hmm. for a certain mm-hmm. phrase or a, a time frame or whatever it is. So is there a question, you know, that is a, a, a predictive question that you could also share, like what, what you would be listening for or what's triggering to you? You bet, you bet. So this matters in sales. This matters in education. For example, a good question is, sounds so simple. Okay. Are you a good listener? Now, if you're in a job interview, no one's going to say no, right? <laughs> if you want the job, everybody says yes. So then there's a, that's just the setup. The follow-up is, how do you know when you're doing a good job of listening? And what we've been able to track in several different professions is there is a performance difference between those people who tell you about how they listen. They talk about you know, techniques like reflective listening, and they talk about eye contact, and they talk about what they do. And some of it's pretty smart stuff, right? You know, Uh, but (laughs) what we've learned is the predictive part of that is when they don't talk about what they do, they talk about how the other person responds. So it's when they say, how do you know when you're doing a good job of listening? They tell me more than they intended to tell me. They open up, okay? When they put the frame of reference on the other person, okay? That's predi- That's what we call predictive. That that's would great. be a good example, okay? Great example. Uh, yeah. Another one, a real simple one, and I, there's a lot of great answers to it, but are you a good loser, okay? Well, some people hear that and they hear, are you a good sport? And they say, well, yeah, absolutely. You gotta be mature, you know, all that. But there are people that question triggers something inside of them, okay? And they just go, I hate that. (laughs) I almost said no out loud, but in the middle of your answer. (laughs) And it really does discriminate. I mean, you get such a wide range of, of answers and responses. And the thing is, it works at all ages, okay? Right. I mean, it it, it translates, uh, uh, and, it, and it, it is predictive. So those are a couple examples. I, of course, I could always give more. I uh, Well, I'll tell uh, just a funny story about traits. I, this was, you know, several days ago, and uh, it's, it's the end of the day, and I'm getting ready to do these podcast interviews. And uh, my girlfriend, Christine, had come in and – she says, you know, what are you going to do? Are we making dinner? I'm like, I still want to work. She says, all right, I'm going to hit the treadmill. So I'm working. And then all of a sudden, so, I don't know, an hour goes by. And so my, ba- my office is in my basement. So I hear her footsteps again above my head, meaning she's done with her workout. She's going to want me to come up and start the evening, right? So I, I don't go up there. I just text her. <laughs> and I say, <laughs> I know you're done. I say, I'll be up in three minutes. She texts back and says, you are very precise. And then the next thing I do in the next three minutes, I'm getting ready for our interview here. And so I'm going through all the dog-eared, the many dog-eared pages in your book. And I get to the part where you're talking about how some people have a weirdness about time and others don't. And about, you know, it's just like the clock is always running. And so I like within minutes of me saying to her, I'll be upstairs in three minutes. I'll be done working in three minutes. And her saying, you're very precise. I'm reading about that odd trait that some people have that that internal (laughs) clock you've got you know people either have it or you don't you you know some people when they fly you can tell some people boy they cross a time zone they gotta get other people eh you know if i don't change it now i won't have to change it when i get home it's just right i had an associate who you knew 
who I thought was a master of of conventional wisdom. Okay, <laughs> so we didn't always agree, but in negotiation or arguing with him, I'd always try to make sure it was in his office, and I would sit across the desk from him, and I'd kind of lean over, and I'd start moving things around on his desk, okay? <laughs> he, he had that neat orderly, and it would drive him crazy, and he couldn't wait for the conversation to be over again so he could put things back you That's know, where funny. it was. I mean, the trait just couldn't not come out. Right. You know? I want to ask you, so about personality. <laughs> Um, as, as I think, you know, you know, with, uh, the, the start of the new company lead X, we've been rolling out all kinds of things. And one of the things, uh, I've been excited about is, um, working with a mutual friend, Dr. Roger Lipson, you know, we've launched this big five personality assessment that drives a lot of other, other things. And, you know, when I read the other versions of big five that are out there, the five factor model and other personality assessments, it always says, there is no one right personality. It's not about right or wrong. It's about role and fit and just self-awareness and working with others. Largely, I get that. <laughs> but I feel like, look, when it comes to the big five, like, would I ever want to hire someone low in conscientiousness instead of high? Would I yeah. really want to hire the high in neuroticism instead of the low? Like, there kind of is a right profile in big five, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't think in that regard it's adequate. You take something like conscientiousness, it's not the situation where it's either there or it's not there. There are different things that trigger conscientiousness in different people. Mm. That's why I think you've got to get kind of beyond that. Yeah, deeper. You can't just know about conscientiousness in isolation. Right. There are different triggers for different people. And that's the secret to it. That's kind of where this whole thing started out. Right. You know, you got to individualize. And that's what I would say about that. That's why I like assessments where it doesn't rely on the recognition of a response, you know, right. multiple choice, true, false, whatever, where the person has to spontaneously generate the response. Right. We ask a question sometimes about focus. And the question is, when you're alone late at night, early in the morning, driving someplace, what do you think about? Okay, well, I've asked that question thousands of times, and I've heard everything from <laughs> their fantasy life, <laughs> what music they listen to, to whatever. But the, again, the predictive response is, the, the best predictive response is, I think about where I'm going and what I'm going to do when I get there. Or I think about the meeting I just had and what I could have done better. It's rehearsal or review. Mm. If that comes out spontaneously, that's great. Now, but if you put it on a list of things, you know, right. you try to turn it into a multiple choice question. Well, everybody's had that happen. Right. You know, it loses its predictive power. So I really believe in this situation where you put out the, the question or the stimulus cue and you let them figure out how they react because that's who they're going to be day in and day out. Not what they, you know. In, in real life situations, it's not multiple choice. Right. You got to generate your own response, your own behavior at that point. So that's that's really what I believe in. And it's not at the end of the day, it's not so much whether you have five or whether you have 12 or whatever. OK, it's about the question and whether it elicits that range of responses and whether those responses really do correlate with the kind of traits that are the best natural expression for this particular job. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question that is a legit, Kevin wants to know, like I want some coaching here. It's something I've thought about and sometimes joke about. 
using the things that I learned from you. And back when we were scaling up this business really fast, Conexa, you know, in early 2000s, I mean, we hired some superstars and the business had had some incredible success. And what I noticed is that we hired superstars and we also had a lot of wacky stuff going on. We couldn't hold a sales meeting without there being a bar fight and three people going to jail. We, we couldn't, we couldn't have a gathering without someone getting drunk and taking their clothes off in the Denny's parking lot. Um, we, I, and it isn't just salespeople. You know, I had, uh, very talented young graphic designers and, you know, one said, Hey, I need some vacation because I'm going to burning man, you know, out, out in the desert for, for a week. They never came back. They just never came back. You know, I guess they relocated, joined the Burning Man cult. I don't, they're, they're gone. You know, uh, uh, another one, highly talented, really good guy. We hire him. That's funny. Second day on the job, he gets his tongue pierced in so many places. It's so bad. He can't talk for two months. So now we've got Italian employee who cannot communicate for two months. Now, we could, we, and we remember these people that we've worked with and still know in some cases. What is it about this? I I try to sometimes have told people, you know, the short version. I'm like, it helps you to identify people that are like on the on the far extreme of the curve. But sometimes it's the wrong end of the curve, you know, the wrong end of the bell curve. So what is it? Is it that talented people are just wacky and it comes with the territory? Is it that we were not screening out for certain things? What, what's going on? Well, yeah, I think maybe there were some uh, questionable decisions that were occasionally made, but I think there was all, there's also a culture. I mean, like one of the defining sort of events of the culture in the city where we had our office of 300 some people was the annual golf tournament. And it had nothing to do with golf. It was a chance for people to let their hair down. And it, it, I mean, it just wouldn't have been the same without that annual golf tournament. So it was a culture that attracted some people for not always the right reason. But I, I feel like the defining thing was it was based on perform. It was a performance culture and we kind of stuck to that. So it was like a work, work hard, play hard culture. So I don't know what to tell you about the, (laughs) the the guy in, in the book. And I don't, there's a, there's a chapter on the most unconventional manager I ever worked with. His his name is is Sean, and I intentionally misspelled his name because <laughs> that's just what he al- he always had to screw with everybody. Uh, he had a knack for zeroing in on people's hot buttons, usually in a when he was a, just a prankster. And yeah. that's, that was one of the techniques he used in manage. He, he really knew how to get to people, but he also knew how to do it in a really good way at times. There was some unconventional things at Conexa and, you know, you got to take the, the good with the bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I guess it just goes um, with the territory. So to wrap things up, we could go on forever on this kind of stuff. You know, I always like to challenge my listeners to learn something new every day, do something different every day, uh, constantly be growing. They, it's I say it half jokingly, but I say like the robots are coming for all of our jobs. We need to keep uh-huh. our edge, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, so give us give us a challenge in the spirit of leadership and engagement and, and uh, no pegs, no holes, something that we could go out and try to do right away. Okay. I'd love to. Okay, so this this definitely puts us on the nurture side of the equation. 
because you can't go in tomorrow. If you want to start right away, you can't go in tomorrow and switch out your people. Okay. So this is about the nurture side of the equation. So this gets into this powerful concept of employee engagement. Now, one of the things that's going on right now in a lot of the popular press in business and management is that there's this weird discussion about what's next after engagement. Right. You know, the annual engagement survey is dead. What's the next fad that's going to replace right. it? Okay, if you're having those kinds of discussion, I I've got news for you. You're not defining it right, okay? You're screwing it up because what we know about engagement, engagement is about all those things that any manager or leader at any level of the company can impact and influence. So from the front line to the boardroom, what are the things that I can, and it's different at every level, but what are the things that I can do that cause my people to want to work harder, stay longer, and care more? Okay, that's what it's about. What are the things that I can do that cause people to be more motivated, committed, and conscientious? That is never going to go out of vogue. That is never going to become irrelevant. We probably ought to rename it yeah. every few years to keep it fresh. But it always is going to be relevant. It all until that day that you pointed out when everything is done by robots. <laughs> that's always going to matter, right? Yeah. So here's something you could do, and it it works and it's important. Okay, and you could start tomorrow. It's going to probably take you a month or two to get through it. But with respect to each person that you feel responsible for in the organization, have a one-on-one. -on -one. could be spontaneous. It could be an appointment. But the purpose of it is to kind of discover the answer to this question. And the question is for each person, okay, one-on-one. -on -one. Describe the time in your work life when you were the most engaged, motivated, committed into it. What was that like? What were you doing and why was it like that? Okay. And then listen closely. Okay. And here's what you will learn. If you have decent people at all, first of all, I'll tell you what you won't hear. Okay. You won't hear much talk about the conventional wisdom stuff. You won't hear much talk about work-life balance. Right. It was when I had no stress. You won't hear that. <laughs> You won't hear much talk about money. You won't hear much chance, uh, much talk about some of the basics like respect and fair treatment. Now, those I'm not saying those things aren't important, but those are disengagers. Those are right. those can be bummers, okay, right. that bum you out, but they're never the things that engage you. What you will learn, and it'll be different for everybody, but you will hear you will hear about challenge learning, inspiration, a chance to be stretched, a chance to take on more responsibility, to get better recognition, to be more successful than you've been, you will have been, to make a difference. You will hear about hard. You will hear about a time when it was hard, but I did it and it was vitalizing. It felt great. So that's one thing. That's one thing you can do. Now, that's really more about managing. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of one by one. If you have aspirations to lead, mm -hmm. which is a little different. Okay. I kind of discriminate between those two functions. Okay. Then, you know, here's something to think about. Here's what the literature is saying, probably more strong than ever before. What our research, not the literature, what our, what our employee research mm -hmm. is saying right now. So here's the basis of it. If you could equalize everything else in the work environment, you know, money, working conditions, management, if you could equalize everything else, many, many people would rather work for a cause than a company. So if you as a leader can identify that cause, 
what matters around here? Why is this important? Who wins when we win? Who are we helping? How are we making the world better? If you can do that, you can gain a big competitive advantage over your competitors. If you can do that better than them. Okay. And, and even more importantly, if you can in, inspire people with the mission of this business, why does this matter? Uh, beyond the paycheck, beyond the P&L, beyond the stock price, why is this work is important? And then take this second step of helping them know how their job contributes to it, how they're a part of it. Look, if you can do that, Many people will follow you anywhere, okay? It's that important. It's that big a deal. And right now, with things going on in the world, the data would say that it's more important than ever. So th those are that's not one thing, that's two. And those are two things that you could start on tomorrow. Fantastic stuff. And when you say the data suggests it's more important than, than ever, ever before, is it that the, the, the times we are in or is there a generational element? People like to trash the millennials. I often get, how do you manage millennials? And I have not seen a lot of data that millennials are that different than other generations in terms of what they want. They're younger, so they might want growth more than an older dog or something. But do you think this is a generational thing or we're all feeling this need? I mean, this this piece I don't, I, I do not believe is a generational thing. Sometimes I think that gets overplayed. There are generational differences, mm -hmm. but it's like every other stereotype. <laughs> when you apply it to an individual, you're mostly going to be wrong, okay? Right. Because the variance within the category is all much is always so much greater than the variance between the categories, and people don't get that, right. you know. Right. So if you try to treat all millennials the same, you're, you know, it's the same mistake, okay? It's just a different variation on the same mistake, I'll put it that way. So with this need for purpose and to see how your work fits into a bigger picture, I don't think that's generational. Uh, I think there, there are people that that is extremely important to in every generation. I'm glad to hear you say that. And, you know, I, I want that in my own life and I try to lead with, with that element. I, uh, <laughs> just interviewed earlier today a professor and former entrepreneur guy and and uh I don't think it was on the record but he said I'll leave his name out of it but he said that one of the things he is seeing generationally he was complaining that kids these days talk about purpose and cause and what happened to just wanting to be a capitalist <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. I thought that was interesting, but, uh, <laughs> I think that might've been more about him. Yeah. Than I, the millennials. Think, yeah. I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. It wasn't hard to uncover his motivators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Bill, I've got to unfortunately wrap this up, but tell our listeners, how can they find out more about your book and uh, your work? Our company is Workforce Science Associates. Our website is WorkforceScience.com. We have some white papers, and, and uh, you can buy the book on there. You can read the book, and um, we'd love to talk to you. We love to work with groups of managers and talk about these ideas and, and put a little more meat on the bones, so to speak, make it a little more practical. You know, a lot of these are great ideas, but people don't immediately see the practicality to it. I tried to give a couple of examples of questions to ask and, uh, you know, things that you could do, but it's worth more time and we love doing it. Perfect. And uh, I'll put that link and links to the book on Amazon uh, in the show notes and the articles. Uh, Bill, thanks for coming on to the Lead X Leadership Show. All right. It was uh, more fun than I thought it would be. Good. Well, we'll do it again soon. <laughs> okay. Hey, before I go, I have to ask a favor. 
If you liked this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take one minute and leave a rating on iTunes. Don't know how? Just open your web browser, type in leadx.org forward slash subscribe, and it will bounce you over to iTunes. Just click on ratings and click some stars. Leave a comment if you really want to get crazy with it. And when you're done, let us know by sending an email to info at leadx.org. And we will send you back a special link that will let you in to our private VIP group on Facebook. Just in the last month, we sent out two or three dozen different books from our guests. We gave everyone free and early access to our new online personality assessment. And our VIPs even got to ask IBM Watson their management and leadership questions. I hope you have a great week and I hope you will also remember that leadership is influence, which means you are always leading. This week, lead with intent.